Well, good morning, church. Welcome to worship. I'm glad you're here on our central campus. We've got folks worshiping on two other campuses at our Six Mile campus, our Lake Carroll campus, and then lots of folks still joining us online. And then all of what we call your cloud crowd. I was taught this week that it's important that I remember that um, while I have the privilege to speak to all of you who hear this, the reality is the impact potential is all of those people that you interact with. Um, And for most of us, that's probably about 120 people in a week, they say. So just uh, multiply what we experience in this setting to our crowd cloud. And I think think we can ask God to do something pretty special. Like the words to the song that we just sang. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Just think about what that's saying. Everything that God does is for the purpose of bringing glory or honor to his name. And that's the focus of our time together today. The message I've titled, Cause Your Name to be Hallowed. I want us to pray once more before I read this passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 6. And as we come to the end of my prayer, I'm going to invite you to join me. If you're familiar with what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, it'll be obvious when I give you that invitation. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to just be in your presence and to hear the saints sing praise to you. We understand intellectually that you are with us because you are within us, Holy Spirit. And, And yet there's something about coming together and realizing we're not alone in this journey, that we're together with the saints. And that that saint word doesn't mean that we've got it all figured out, but, but that we've got you, Jesus, and that, that changes everything. So, oh, we just love you, and we, we're grateful for this opportunity. But at the same time, we come knowing we need you. Oh, God, we need you. As the song says, every hour we need you, every minute we need you, every second we need you. When we don't acknowledge it, we need you, and yet now we're acknowledging it. So, God, give us those things that we need that we don't have. And teach us those things that we desperately need to know that we don't know. But most importantly, do what only you, the the one true God, can do. Transform us. Lord, we don't need another religious service. We certainly don't need empty ritual. But out of a deep relationship, would you change us? And begin with me, Lord. So even in these moments, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart please you. And God, just as you have been my redeemer, may you 
May you redeem someone today forever. Would you save someone? May, may the light bulb of salvation come on in such a way that they are, they are called to call on your name. And for the rest, those who are saved, God, may this be a day that changes us as you teach us to pray, even as you taught your disciples when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. That word which means so be it. And so that's our prayer. And God, we say, let it be so. The disciples came to Jesus. We have it recorded in Luke chapter 1, where they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. They've just watched him return from something that's part of his daily habit, which, by the way, if a visible time, if a particular moment, a, a, a place of prayer was part of the habit of our Lord, how much more should it, it be a part of, of what we do? And, and so that's what the disciples saw that, hey, something happens to Jesus after these times where he's been in prayer. So Jesus, teach us to pray like that. And Matthew records his answer in the midst of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible message that can guide so much of our life. And we find that in Matthew chapter 6. I want to begin reading there this model prayer of Jesus. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. In this manner, or in this way, or like this, is how you should pray. Therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last week we jumped into this most familiar prayer in all the world. And we learned something significant. We learned that when you pray, everything in prayer hinges on relationship. So that first phrase teaches us a lot. It begins with our Father, and we're taught that prayer is something personal. So prayer isn't something really that's available to anyone. Prayer is available to those who have a, a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and that in and of itself may be a newsflash to some of you. It may be different because we would think anyone can pray, and yet Scripture teaches that prayer is a, a personal vehicle through which we communicate uh, with God. But it's not just personal. It's not private. Because when He teaches us to pray, He says, our Father. And one of the mistakes we make in prayer is that we make it all about us. We make it just personal. And, and yet when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he's reminding us, this isn't about you. This is not selfish. This is not something you go to God and he's just your genie in a bottle and you, 
you, you pray as part of a family and you're, you're praying together with others. We're praying to our Father, but we're praying to our Father who is in heaven. And that says so much about the perspective with which we pray. Because we're communicating with one who's sovereign. Who knows what we do not know. Who's done what we could not do. Who sees what we do not see. Today, we're not going to make it very far. We just advance four more words. That next phrase Hallowed be your name. Father tells us to whom we're praying. Our tells us with whom we're praying. Hallowed be your name tells us why we're praying. Now, for some of you, you're already confused because all your life, you just, they said it so fast. You thought it said, our Father in heaven, Howard is your name. And, and so... I've just, man, you've had a great moment there of clarity. It's not Howard, but it's hollowed. And, and this is interesting, isn't it? Because that's not a word we use in our common language. And yet, even in many of your more modern translations, you still have that. I, why? It's simple. We don't have a better word. <laughs> there, there's not a better way to describe what Jesus was saying here. This idea of sacredness, of set-apartness, of, of differentness, uniqueness. It describes value and worth beyond anything we could imagine. And he's making it clear that the sacred is different from the secular. Something that perhaps we've lost in our faith journeys. Understanding that this call to follow after God, this pursuit of holiness, will require it sometimes that we walk away from that which is familiar and secular and of our day to embrace that which can only come from God and that we can only know through Him. Hollywood, be your name. Your name is special, isn't it? I can remember as a little child being told that I was named after Paul and Stephen in the Bible. And there were some characters I learned about quickly because of that. So Paul, the apostle, will read some of his writings inspired by the Spirit of God even today. But then Stephen, one of the first deacons, and he was the first martyr of the Christian faith. And the book of Acts tells us that, that Paul is standing there overseeing, kind of watching as Stephen is getting stoned. And so when I learned that, I began to realize at an early age, that's why sometimes I feel schizophrenic. I don't, I don't know which, which way I'm going. And, and then I have my name Purvis. And, and that name Purvis, um, it, it, it means even more to me in this last year plus as my dad's got his new address in heaven because I look at his life and I, I see what a good name he has. And, and Solomon said a good name is, is better to be chosen than great riches. And man, my dad had a good name. And I, I want to have that name. I, I've spent most of this week with uh, a small group of others just taking a deep dive into knowing myself better. Because in, in whatever journey I have left, and none of us know that, but I know this, I'm, I'm in the, the final quarter probably, reality. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm going toward the finish line. And, and so I want to make my name make a difference. 
Our, our name is, is special to us. And, and that's why some would say that your name is the, the most sacred sound that you could hear someone else say. That, that's why we kind of get sad if someone doesn't remember our name. Or, or if they say our name wrong, it, it may upset us. We like to hear our name. And I don't have time to, to go around and point each of you out today. And in fact, I, I can't remember everybody's name. And, and so I want you to hear it, though, OK? I, I want you to hear your name. So on the count of three, all of us, we're just going to say our name because we like to hear our name. There's nothing like hearing your name. So you got the assignment. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, that's such a beautiful sound. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your name. And there's something unique about you, right? I, I said, I, I'm trying to know myself better because I realize that God put me on this planet to do something that no one else can do. And, and the, the crazy thing about that is I get sidetracked. It's just most of us spend so much of our life trying to be somebody else, trying to do stuff like someone else where God made you unique. Oh, hope you discover that. Well, there's this website called howmanyofme.com and you can go to that website and put in your name and see how many people and I see some of you doing that right now go ahead get it over with but howmanyofme.com you see how many different people have your name uh, in the U.S. so I did that and it was deflating there's 197 other Paul Purvises that's kind of crazy isn't it just here in the U.S. And my name's Scottish, so who knows how many of us there are in Scotland. Wow. But then uh, yesterday was our gotcha day, and that means that four years ago, our, our baby girl, Anaya, uh, she was legally adopted into our family. And so guess what happens on that day? Her name changed. And uh, not only did she get our last name, we gave her an additional name. So she's got three names, uh, Anaya, Faith, Nicole, uh, Purvis. And so we gave her that name of Faith, and she's got that name of Purvis. And so I looked her up. Guess what? There's just one Anaya Purvis. <laughs> but they didn't have to tell me that. I already knew that, right? That she's something else. Well, we love our name, and so does God. And so I, I think it's no mistake that he begins this model of how to pray by saying, hallowed be your name. That's why the psalmist says in Psalms 8:1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. So there it is, the, the introductory descriptive phrase, right? Our Father in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. You're holy. Is that what this is about? That's what a lot of us have thought for most of our lives. And some of you came up in a Catholic background and you were even taught the Our Father. And, and, and so a lot of us, like I told you before, I used to pray that at Little League baseball games. And, and we kind of fly right over that. And we think, is this just about describing who God is? And the answer is no. It's, it's more than that. This is far more than a phrase just to be glossed over. This, I believe, is the key to unlocking the power power of prayer in your life. In fact, if, if you get one thing today, I want you to walk away understanding that truth. Hallowing the name of God is the key to power in your prayer life. This is what I think Jesus was saying. 
if you hollow the name of God, then you will be able to live as a citizen of his kingdom and do his will. If you hollow the name of God, then your daily needs begin to be met. If you hollow the name of God, you begin to unleash and be unleashed from unforgiveness. If you hollow the name of God, you experience deliverance. Do you see why this is so important? It's a different way of thinking than what many of us have thought. It's the key. Let me unpack it a little bit. First of all, I think Jesus is teaching us to praise his name. Right? God loves the praise of his people. Some of you even heard that phrase. God inhabits the praise of his people. I've taught you that that means to be enthroned. So God sits back as we praise him and he loves it. Just like when someone praises you and, and they saying nice things and you're going, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it some more. Yeah. And that's what God wants. He loves to hear his name praised. But he's saying more than that. He's saying that your prayer should be centered on him. Prayer should be God-centered. And many of us fall down even here. Because it's all about us, what we want, what we need, what we think. So this is not a surprise, though, if you've been in a church setting. A lot of us have been taught patterns of prayer, like the Acts model. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. What does it begin with? Adoration. That's praise. Or, or maybe you were taught the model pray, which is praise, uh, repentance, asking, and then yielding. What does it begin with? Praise. So it, it makes sense. We've heard this idea that when we go to God in prayer, we should praise him first. And he loves this. His name is praiseworthy. In Psalms 111 and verse 9, it says, holy and awesome is his name. But God's names are more than titles. They're speaking to us about who he is. His character. His will. So when he introduces himself to Moses in that fiery moment at the burning bush, he simply says, I am. In other words, I was, I am, I forever will be. The Jewish people in the ancient Hebrew days could not even utter that name. Yahweh, they would write, or Jehovah. In a lot of your English Bibles, it's translated, the Lord. The Lord. 7,000 times we have that name in the Old Testament alone. God's name. But that's not the only one, is it? You remember some of the other ones. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. Elion, the Most High God. Adonai, Lord Master. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Elohim, the everlasting God. Elohim, God, 
Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And then we just think of those attributes of God, those things that draw us into his presence, like his grace and his mercy, his majesty. Maybe you're overwhelmed with his sovereignty, that he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, or his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful, or his omniscience, omnipresence, that he's ever-present, that he's always here, his omnibenevolence, that he's all-loving, all these things just make us hold on to and, and praise the name of God. Here's what I want you to do. You got to hear your name. And when I count to three this time, I just want you to shout out something about God, a name of God or an attribute of God that just draws you closer into his presence. You got the assignment? Here we go. One, two, three. All right. You did that kind of half-heartedly. So we're going to do that again. So the assignment is this. This is something that excites you about who God is. So maybe it's one of those attributes I went through. Maybe it's a name that you call him. Maybe it's what you he means to you. One, two, three. Let me hear you, church. He is worthy of our praise. We must definitely learn to praise the name of God. But Jesus is teaching us more. That's not all this is about. Jesus is teaching us also to prioritize his name. When you look at how this is written, it's literally saying, let your name be hallowed. Or make your name be hallowed. Or perhaps even more clearly, cause your name to be hallowed. And and so that moves us beyond what many of us thought of this passage, that it was a descriptor of God, that this is a proclamation about God or an acclamation of who he is. No, this is part of the petition. This is the beginning prayer. Remember, because until God causes us to see his name as holy, we have no chance as living as a kingdom citizen. We have no chance of accomplishing his will. Our daily needs are not going to be met. We're not going to forgive and be forgiven. We're not going to experience deliverance. So we want to cause his name to be holy. It's, It's father, cause your name to be sacred in me. It's, it's a heart issue. It's really getting to the heart of the issue. It's about governance. And that's why I think this could be one of the most important teachings that you hear on Scripture. I had a conversation with someone I deeply love this week who's going through a life, a real trauma and a challenge and got some decisions to make and brought up in church and knows all the stories of scripture, has all the intellectual knowledge, has a profession of faith back here, but unapologetically knows they're not walking with God right now. And as we were talking about what to do, how to navigate this trauma in life, I said, you know, it really does come down to your decision. Are you going to let God govern your life as you intellectually know scripture teaches or are you going to be in charge and see that's the issue all of us have to decide and the decision of that is not based on whether or not you go to church it's not based on uh, if you put something in the offering plate no no there's a moment in time where we acknowledge i've 
surrendered my right to be in charge of my life. And the failure to do that is why so many look at us inside the walls of the church and call us hypocrites. Because we go through these motions, but we've never made that decision. We've never experienced that kind of surrender, that kind of yielding. And that's why Jesus says this only takes place when you're praying to God in such a way that you say, oh God, at the core of my being, the essence of who I am in my heart, cause my heart to be sacred. How would your life be different if you begin to pray that way, really? Father, cause your name to be sacred in my life. Father, cause your name to be sacred in my home. Father, cause your name to be sacred in my marriage. Father, cause your name to be sacred in my life as a parent. Father, cause your name to be sacred in my workplace. Father, cause your name to be sacred in the classroom. Father, cause your name to be sacred when I'm around my friends. How would your spiritual disciplines be different if, if you begin to pray, God, Father, cause your name to be sacred every time I open your word. Father, cause your name to be sacred when I bow my head in prayer. Father, cause your name to be sacred to me when I come to worship, not focusing on everything else in the world around me. Father, cause your name to be sacred when I have an opportunity to be generous and be a steward of what you've given to me. Father, cause your name to be sacred when I witness. You see, I, I think what Jesus was pointing out is that you, you can't begin to truly pray until you've decided what is set apart, what is different, what's of value, what is uniquely, uniquely from him. He was saying, you've got to learn to pray whatever it takes, Father. Let there be holiness in me. We don't do this. We bring him leftovers. And that's why this is so important. See, we can come to church and, and still it's the leftovers of our week. We can open the Bible app and spend five minutes, but it's the leftovers of our day. We can tip him occasionally with our finances, but it's the leftover of our resources. So last night we ate at Outback. We loved that. And um, there were a few leftovers. So some of those went home for us. But there were a few pieces of steak that had just not been eaten. They kind of were about to be left on the plate that the waitress came to take away. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got a dog. And so I took those pieces of steak and I began to tear them up and we, we put them in the thing. And then when we got home... I uh, I put them in my hands, so my, my dirty hands had been all over them, and um, I called my very disobedient dog, who never listens, uh, and kind of does what he wants to do. Pray for Frosty. Frosty's his name. He's 98 in dog years. Um, so I, Frosty uh, came, and I, I put a little piece of meat, so he sniffed it, then he followed me outside, because I wanted to make sure he went outside. Because he doesn't always go outside to do what he needs to do, if you know what I mean. And um, if you were looking at that and I were handing you a handful of steak, you're like, Pastor, have you lost your mind? Not Frosty. <laughs> he was in heaven. 
Frosty loved it. He began to gobble up those pieces of steak. Why? Because he's my pet. He loves my leftovers. But God is not your pet. And he'll never be content with the leftovers of your life. He's holy. And he desires to be sacred. And what we've done is we marginalize those things that should be prioritized. And we become content with something that has no power that he doesn't like. And then we're surprised at our results. <laughs> and I have to say, from my perspective, that's kind of funny because you, you get what you're sowing, right? The law of the harvest. And so a parent does this. They look at little Billy, and if your name's Billy, I'm not talking about you. I tried to pick a common name. But you, you, they look at little Billy, and Billy's a good athlete at four. And so uh, they decide he's going to be the next Tim Tebow. So they get him in little league football, and then he gets in the club ball, and all of a sudden it's travel ball. And wow, Billy, man, this is a Parents that were raised in church, they have gone to church, even they dedicated little Billy when he was born. But now, man, Billy's going to be the next Tim Tebow. And maybe there's going to be college scholarship. And who knows, he may make it into the pros. And all of a sudden, little Billy's not being raised in church. He knows his parents have talked about that. But he's watched them marginalize the thing they talk about prioritizing and then little Billy's parents are surprised when he grows up and goes to college and he doesn't go to church and, and then he gets married and they don't go to church because they watch their family marginalize things that were supposed to be prioritized that always results in an outcome we don't like Fill that in with little Sally, who's going to be the next Olympic, Olympic gymnast, or whatever the challenge is in your life. Fill it in with your boat that you deserve because you've had such a hard life, or, or that trip that, that you make every other week to the beach, and you don't prioritize those things of God. we got to stop expecting those that are watching us to prioritize the things they watch us marginalize. But Jesus is teaching us more. He's teaching us to praise God's name. He's teaching us to prioritize God's name. But I think the biggest thing is he's teaching us the preeminence of God's name. Now, preeminence is a word that literally means surpassing all others. So I think what he's trying to help us say when we say, Father, cause your name to be holy. He's reminding that, that God doesn't want prominence in your life. You know, a lot of us have got that down good. He's prominent. Even the people in your little corner of the world, they see God's prominent in their life. Their car's gone on Sunday morning or, or you know, they, uh, they seem to pray when they have a meal or something. He's prominent in their life. But that's not what he's after. He's not even after being the president of your life. 
Now, if I wanted to divide this crowd instantly, I would just ask you what you think about the president <laughs> at any given time in history, <laughs> because we're so divided now. But here's the reality. You know, the president makes decisions that do affect us. No question. Elections have consequences. But you're not really caring what the White House does most every day. That's not governing your life. God doesn't want to be your president. He wants to be preeminent. He wants to be the, the thing that governs you. Remember my conversation? That is over everything in your life. That every decision you make is governed by godliness. How have we missed this? How could generations grow up in church and, and not understand that it's not about walking down an aisle or raising a hand and praying a prayer or, or checking off that you went to Sunday school, but there is a holy God who, who wants to be the number one thing in our life, which means that who I marry, he needs to be consulted. What degree I get, he needs to be consulted. What job I take, he needs to be consulted. How I spend my free time, he needs to be consulted. How I spend my money, he needs to be consulted. How in the world that we profess to be followers of Christ and not understand this basic truth. Father, cause your name to be holy. And he made this clear in the very beginning. Because when he was talking to Moses up on that mountaintop and he gave us the big 10, remember what he said? Look at Exodus 20 verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or, or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And don't miss this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his names. God's name is a big deal. And we pat ourselves on the back if we're not committing adultery. Even though Jesus said, if you look the wrong way, you're guilty of adultery. Or, or we haven't committed murder. Well, even though Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. But we pat ourselves on the back if we haven't done these big things. And yet we're not allowing God's name to be sacred in our life. This is such a big deal that near the end of the book, the Apostle Paul would be inspired to say in Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him to the highest, Jesus, and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's telling us, hey, there's going to be a day where the name of God will be holy in everyone's eyes. But for some, it will be too late. By the way, when we pray, that's why we pray ending it in Jesus' name. What we're saying, God, let your name be glorified in how these prayers are answered. This is for your name's sake. This is for the holiness of your name. Well, let me just give you three things to help us kind of finalize this thought. Number one, when God's name is preeminent in your life, it describes your identity. 
That's who you are. That's why in the New Testament, Paul uses the term very frequently in Christ. If, if you've got that relationship with God through Jesus, you are in Christ. And then we know inversely that that means he is in us. So we are in Christ and he is in us. And, and that is uh, an identifying factor in our life. And so that's why the Bible in the book of Acts tells us that in Antioch, people begin to notice that. And they said, these people, they look like that one that was called Jesus the Christ. They're like little Christs, which was translated Christians. And yet today we live in a nation, the wealthiest nation in the world, and the majority of people, though it's shrinking, the majority of people still say they're Christians. And yet I don't feel like when I walk outside that I see a bunch of little Christ walking around. So there's a disconnect, right? Unfortunately, it's infiltrated the church. You can have your name on rolls and hold positions and, and yet you don't really identify as one who has made God preeminent in your life. Secondly, when God's name is preeminent in your life, it displays intimacy. It's clear that you know him. Again, as I dove into me this week, one of the things I've landed on is just some adjustments I want to make because I, I, want, I don't want there to be any doubt when I come in contact pe with people that uh, it could be said like it said of the disciples in the Gospels. Um, he's been with Jesus. You see, when he is preeminent in your life, it's clear that you know him and he knows you. So uh, my wife, her name is Kimberly. And some of you don't know her real well. Um, and I know that because you call her something she doesn't prefer to be called. So I discovered when we first met on the first day of seminary, when I thought there is my future wife, um, I learned that her name is Kimberly, but she prefers to go by, ready for this? Kimberly. But because that's one of the names that people often shorten, a lot of people call her Kim, <laughs> but not people that know her. Because they know her and care about what she wants. And, and so when we have this idea that God is preeminent in our lives, we've gotten to know him on an intimate level and we're living in such a way that we want what he wants, right? So when God's name is preeminent, preeminent in your life, it describes your identity. When God's name is preeminent in your life, it displays your intimacy. And when God's name is preeminent in your life, it's depicted through your intentions. Now, what I'm saying there is you begin to live your life recognizing everything I do matters. So I, I can't just write off college as a party time. And I'm going to get back on track because everything I do matters. I, I can't wait 
to get deeper involved in my relationship with God until the kids are a little bigger because everything I do matters. <laughs> I, I can't just walk away from this marriage because we're bumping heads, which we should have known because we were opposites when we started dating and when we got married, but I can't walk away because everything is governed by who He is. And so then when I begin to make my decision about what I want to do for my life, I have to say, okay, how does His name get greater in the nations because of what I do? Again, another terrible problem in the church of today. We've acted like just those on stage are the ones that are called. It's not true. If you're a Christ follower, your job is to make His name great in the nations. Is that your intention? Are you making that kind of difference? Is the name of God preeminent in your life? Here's a way to know. Do you feel like you're living as a kingdom citizen? Is your life... Well, well, time out. I'm going to stir the pot here, Mike, a little bit. Um, here's a quick one on that. You get more excited about things like what we're talking about or when you're watching Fox News or MSNBC. That tells us which kingdom you're in, right? If you were more passionate about the election or, or your view on vaccinations, that's a descriptor into which kingdom you're in. Are you living as a kingdom citizen? Are you uh, living according to his will? As people look at the decisions that you've made, would they say, man, it really seems like they're consulting God with this new house they're building or, or, or with this new job they're taking. Um, are you submitting your daily needs to Him? Or are they your daily greeds? That's coming, but that's a question. How are you with forgiveness? Are you a forgiven person? Are you a forgiving person? And then how are you doing in the battle against temptation and the evil of this world? Have you been delivered? So if you say no to any of those, it's like a private pop quiz. If you say no to any of those, that tells us there's some areas where he's not preeminent in our life, right? And so we need to make some adjustment, whether it's in our marriage or our parenting, or our schoolwork and our faithfulness to church. All I'm asking is that you begin, that you make that conscious decision today. And if you're a Christ follower, how that looks is what Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I love it better in the old translation. It says, sanctify, sanctify your hearts. That's what we're praying, right? Oh, Father in heaven, cause your name to be sacred, to be sanctified in my heart. But some of you, you've not done this and, and the light bulb has come on today and you've realized, man, I've gone through a lot of motions, but I don't have the kind of faith he's talking about. Well, here's the good news. That name has the power you need because in Romans 10, 13, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's your hope. That's why God's brought you to this day and given you life so that you can experience that. So here's what I say to you. Glorify the name of the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
If we understand that Christ died to make us holy, how can we live any other way than in pursuit of that holiness? Are you willing today to present yourself before God, not asking for anything, but just in light of who He is, saying, God, I want to hang out in your holiness. There was a benevolent king who once a week would reserve a morning to allow anyone in the kingdom to come in with any request, complaints, any issues they had. And he noticed something over a period of time, week after week, year after year. Um, this guy would come every, every time he opened the doors of the palace. And then when it was over, he would leave and he never said a word. Finally, one day the curiosity got a hold of the king and, and he said, um, go find that guy. I've got to figure this out. And so he went and he said, hey, I've noticed for years you've been coming every time I open the doors of the palace and yet you've never asked for anything. Why, why do you do this? And he, he said, King, when I was a younger man, I'd committed a crime. And I was sentenced to death. But as they were dragging me through the streets, your carriage rode by. And I cried out to you and asked for forgiveness. And you looked, and because I was a young man, you pardoned me. You gave me a second chance. So because of that, I don't come asking anything. But I want to come every time I get a chance giving you honor. And just letting you see how awesome I think you are. Friend, that's the kind of king that our God is. He looks at you no matter what you've done and he sees love. He does that in spite of the fact that just like me, you were born stained. You were stained with sin. And that sin, if it's never dealt with, will cause you to be punished. And it'll cause you to spend forever separated from God. But that's not God's desire. God's desire is life with you for the sake of his name. And so he went to an extreme measure to make that possible. He sent his son and his son, Jesus, lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. And then he died on a cross to take your punishment so you wouldn't have to. And then he rose from the dead to show that he could conquer anything, including your past and your sin, and he could give you a victorious life. But you've got to have that moment where you call on his name for salvation. The psalmist said, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. That's what I want to invite you to do. Because it's worth it. As another song says, Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder. Because nothing has the power to save but your name. Let's bow our heads.
I really would ask you just to hang tight for a few minutes and not move around during this time. If you're at home, I'd ask you not to click out and tune out, but to stay with us because I don't know how we could hear this message and not elicit some kind of response deep within our souls. So there's only three categories of us in here. Um, One is that group that can confidently say, yeah, God's name is preeminent in every area of my life. I'm just telling you, I don't think I'm there yet. And so even as I prepared this message, it was convicting and challenging. And I've prayed, I prayed again after I preached the first time this morning, God, I want your name to be everything to me. And it's not. There's others uh, of us, you're like me. You're saved, you don't doubt that. You know that if this life were to end today, you would go to heaven instantly. But, but you need some adjustments. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to do something about it today. And, and it's real simple. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to have a pastor or a priest to go to God. You, you just spend time with Him. So there's no magic way, but the Bible does teach us that there are some things we do that help us. So like when I humble myself and I kneel, that even the aching in my knees sometimes illustrates, God, I, I'm putting my needs before you. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you're in that second category to maybe whether you kneel there at your seat because there's enough space or maybe you want to come around the front of the stage and kneel. You're in your home. You just want to kneel where you are and just spend some time saying, Oh, Father, cause your name to be holy. Then go through those lists. That's right. Some are already kneeling now. Praise the Lord. Just begin to go through those lists. Father, cause your name to be holy in my home. Father, cause your name to be holy as a parent. Father, cause your name to be holy as I go to school. Father, cause your name to be holy as I choose my vocation. Father, cause your name to be holy as I serve and work in the church. Oh, Father, cause your name to be holy in me. But some of you, you've never begun that relationship with Jesus. Would you call on the name of the Lord today? I believe with all my heart, that's why God's allowed you breath today. He's given, you've heard the gospel clearly. Would you surrender to him? Would you say, I want you to be preeminent in my life? You've heard me say, we're going to struggle. There's going to be some ups and downs, but there's got to be that moment where you call on the name of the Lord. And you can tell him right now, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. You died for me. I turn to you. Or you could pray this prayer. Would you just pray this, Jesus? Just you and him. Dear Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I believe you died for my sin. You took the punishment. So I receive your forgiveness. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I've tried it my way. I'm ready to go your way. Save me, Jesus. I tell him thank you.